Join us Friday, September 2nd over at Dragon Con for the Blurred Tweet-Up. Located at Joystick Game Bar at 427 Edgewood Avenue Southeast in Atlanta, Georgia. We're going to have a 90s theme event where all 90s music will be played throughout the event. Also, dress up in your best cosplay because we are going to have a cosplay contest. Best cosplay winners will get prizes courtesy of Joystick and some extra prizes from yours truly. We also plan to do a live podcast recording over at Joystick. Stay tuned for that, and we'll have a very special guest to join us on the panel. So don't forget to mark your calendar for Friday, September 2nd at the Joystick Game Bar. And also, use the hashtag BlurredTweetUp. It's a great way to connect online and to be able to find where everybody is at the event. Look forward to seeing you at Joystick Game Bar, and enjoy DragonCon 2016. Should be a lot of fun. I'm Tommy Davidson. You listen to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. That's right. It exists. Hi, I'm Sujata Day. I'm playing Sarah on Insecure, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is Simone Missick, and I am Misty Knight, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, I'm Effie Brown, and I'm a producer of Dear White People, Real Women Have Curves, and recently you probably saw me on HBO's Project Greenlight, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is Latoya Morgan. I'm a writer on Into the Badlands, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is Rain Roberts. I'm a creative executive at Lucasfilm, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. tuning in to episode 87 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Southside with You, Captain America's Costume, and Preacher. Three segments. In our first segment, we interview actress Tika Sumter. Tika is starring in the new film that just premiered this weekend called Southside with You about a young Michelle and Barack Obama on their first date. 
She talks to us about that film, as well as her work on other projects like The Have and The Have Nots. That's a one-on-one interview hosted by Joelle. In our second segment, we interview three-time Academy Award nominee costume designer Judiana Makovsky. She talks about her work on films like Captain America Civil War, Captain America's Winter Soldier, and gives us some perspective behind the scenes on what it's like to dress some of the biggest superheroes on the big screen. That's a one-on-one interview hosted by Joy. In our third segment, back over at San Diego Comic-Con, I had the opportunity to sit inside of the press conference room for the AMC hit show Preacher. Cast members such as Dominic Cooper, Ruth Nega, Ian Coletti, and Joe Gilgan are present to answer questions from the press. If you're a big fan of our hashtag, he preaching, and the TV show, then you'll certainly love this segment. So that's our show. Hope you enjoy it. And for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy our show. Episode 87, Southside with you, Captain America's costume and preacher. Tika Sumter is an actress who began her career in the reality series Best Friends Date back in 2004 and 2005. She's also been featured in reoccurring roles such as the CW teen drama Gossip Girl, the BET sitcom The Game, and she was on the ABC daytime soap opera One Life to Live. Currently, you can see Tika on the own show created by Tyler Perry called The Haves and The Have Nots. And this weekend, you can find Tika in the new film, Southside with You. She plays the role of a young Michelle Robinson, before we know her now as Michelle Obama, in a film about her first date with our future president, Barack Obama. Tika also is a producer on Southside with You. Okay, so guys, we have Tika Sumter here today. I am so freaking excited. Thanks so much for joining us today. Of course. No problem. My pleasure. <laughs> Before we get started talking about your new movie, Southside with You, I wanted to rewind a little bit. Our editor, Jamie Broadnax, had some questions for you. So her first question was, my mom happens to be a big fan of the have and have nots. Can you give us some hints on what we expect for the new season? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a couple of new characters coming on, and I think my character is going to definitely get her life in order and is somebody going to get her life. Do you think Candace is someone who is misunderstood or someone crafty and skilled at being malicious? <laughs> I definitely think Candace is misunderstood. Oh, life. So when, when you don't deal with, you know, things when you're smaller, you, they just manifest to bigger things when you're an adult. So I just think she doesn't mean to be malicious, but this is this is her way of, of being life and, and this is her way to um, survive. Coffee, coffee. Um, we wanted to congratulate you on your new gig with WG in America, Black Wall Street. Uh, you're collaborating again with John yeah. Legend on this innovative project. What can viewers expect from your role on this new TV series? Yeah, I mean, well, we just signed the deal, so we're going to be in development. But I just think it's an amazing piece on the mobility 
and, and the autonomy that this community had, uh, you know, they were able to thrive and, and, and thrive in a very big way with their own banks, their own shops, their own community because they were forced to. So I think, I think it was, I think it's another fact of African Americans who, who did what they had to do in spite of having a lot held, held against them for, for no reasons at all. Um, but they, they did it as a necessity, like we, we sometimes have to do, and uh, they built an amazing community. So I'm excited to collaborate with writers and, and just really get a really good story going. I think it's, I think it's about time. I think people are excited about the story, and uh, we're excited to delve in, and I'm happy to be working with Don again and also WGN for my first time. I'm really excited. This is a historical event I think people have been wanting to see televised or, or put into film, at least on screen for a very long time. It's been a lot of people don't know about oh, yeah. it. It's a huge part of, like, black American culture, so I'm very excited. I can't wait to see what you guys create. Yeah, I, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> okay, let's switch over to Southside with you, which I saw about two weeks ago, and oh my god. It's like, beyond being a movie about the first couple, who obviously we all love, uh, it's so fun yeah. and romantic and just, like, I'm from Chicago, and I just, I love the tone that the movie sets and the way it shows the South Side. I heard that you signed on before a script was even written, and you said that if you didn't play Michelle, you still wanted to be a part of producing this film. What made this story so impactful for you? Yeah, I did. I, that's true. I signed on before it was even a script. Um, so I was just intrigued by the, the perspective, the, the time, and, of course, you know, the two characters, Michelle and Barack, but overall it was just a beautiful love story. And then when the script was actually written, I was so, I love the dialogue. I love the complexity. I love the journey of Michelle. I loved how she, you know, was the prize. I loved how their relationship evolved like moment for moment. And, um, I just loved everything about it. And I just thought we haven't had a movie like this in a, a while. And I, I knew if I wanted to see it, I couldn't be the only one. Absolutely. I know I've been excited since this project was announced. I wanted to ask you, do you think you, would you encourage other actors to move into producing and why? I mean, yeah. I mean, if that's, if that's their passion, you have to be just like I would tell people who are like, Oh, I want to get into acting. How I'm like, okay, you know, the how should be researching how first, because if mm -hmm. you're passionate about something, you've got to figure it out as well. You know, people aren't going to tell you every minute how to do it. I had no clue how to produce, but I had to figure it out. Yeah. I would say if, if, if you have a project that you love and that you're willing to fight tooth and nail for, then go for it because there is a freedom and an empowerment in it where you're, you're in the room where it happens, quoting Hamilton, you know, it's just like, mm -hmm. you're able to really make, you're really able to make decisions that are going to affect the movie. You're also able to, to push it where you need it to go and to protect it. So is it a lot? Yes. But is it worth it? Yes. Um, I think any worth, anything worth anything is worth fighting for. And, 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 and it's not going to be easy. So I would say yes for creative freedom and yes for feeling empowered and, and like you can really do anything and create anything. That's so awesome. So you've got a lot of liberation in being able to kind of make sure the story held true to what you believe the project was. 
Exactly. Like I didn't want, I always say like, you know, people want their fingerprints on it. When, when, when a project starts, everybody wants their fingerprints on it just to say they did this part or whatever. Mm. And it is a collaborative effort, but you don't want to, you don't want to have people's fingerprints on it just for the sake of it, just so people can say I was a part of that. You know what I mean? And I always, I always bring it back to guys, what is the point of us doing it if it, if it can't be great? And, and everybody just wants to put their two cents in just because. So my thing was really being a, a mama bear and protecting <laughs> Richard Tanney's vision, which I got as soon as he told it to me, at, you know, that one day in the summertime in, in um, L.A. when he explained his vision, I was like, yes. So I knew what it could be. But it was also my job to say that's not the movie we're making. We're not making the American Pie version of Southside with you. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, yeah. Not necessarily that somebody said the American Pie version, <laughs> but, you know, people have input and it just doesn't make sense, you know, and yeah. ego and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's, so, that's what you have to do. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up, Richard. I was kind of shocked when I found out a white guy not only is directing this, but wrote it and, and conceived of making it into a film. You're this white boy and be like, what are you, what are you doing? Or did you feel confident the whole time that he knew the story and was going to be the best person to tell it? Well, you know, he was inspired by them a lot. He was falling in love and basically the time around they came on the scene in 2007, 2008 for, you know, elections and stuff. And so he was just intrigued by the look, you know, that they gave each other. And then, you know, if you ask him, he he would say, no, he's not necessarily qualified. But as a white guy, you know, he wanted to step outside of his zone and create something else. You know, like, you know, it's so funny because a lot of the times we're asking Hollywood, listen, give us a chance. You know, and people don't want to stick. People are like, well, I don't know how to write you. You know, and it's like, whoa, we're human. (laughs) You know what I mean? We fall in love. We... We hurt. We do a lot of things, just like everyone else. But he really, even just the cultural references, he didn't just throw it against the wall just to say, oh, I added in good times. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, just just for the sake of it. He really did his research. And, you know, this movie is also about stepping outside, walking in somebody else's shoes. And I feel like that's what he did for 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 creating you know the content that that needed to to carry the film so um i i once i read the script i had um every bit of confidence in him and and the fact that he was able to write a synopsis the way he did and it intrigued me i i, I definitely i, I knew he, he was going to do this with integrity and love and and yeah, I had confidence in him from the very beginning. This set sounds so familial. I know you guys only shot in 17 days. You shot on location. And then on top of that, I know you brought in Vanessa Bell Calloway. What was this shoot like? Yeah, it was 17 days. It was probably one of the most, oh, my gosh, highly functioning sets I've ever been on. So organized. And it was cohesive. And it was intimate. And I, I think if it was bigger than that we would have lost some of that intimacy because that's exactly what it felt like when we were just, it was me and Parker just walking and talking. It was just so beautiful. And then bringing in Vanessa Bell Calloway, who I love, you know, she was happy to be there and just, you know, down for the cause. She just, she thought this was an important project and, you know, there are no small parts to actors. So, you know, I, I, I just to see such an amazing, actor who's been around for a really long time, 
be like, listen, I'm excited to be part of this and I'm down and what do you guys need me to do? That made me just like even more excited just just about the community and, and, and the women who support each other in this community. So um, I don't know. I bow down to Vanessa Bell Calloway. She's, she's, she's amazing. And if you haven't seen her in her play, her amazing play um, about Zora Neale Hurston. With yeah, in her own words, Zora right? Neale, Zora Neale. You've seen her as Zora. Oh my gosh, she's killer. I drove down like two hours to go see her in this play in North Carolina, and she killed it. But anyway, so yeah, anybody who can just be humble and be like, yeah, I'm part of this thing, and it's important. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm down for them. So it, it was a beautiful experience. It was really a beautiful experience for the 17 days. I mean, we were there a little bit before to prep, but like, it was a 17 day shoot. It sounds amazing. It sounds like a dream. I spoke with Vanessa Valcali as well, and she spoke so highly of you. And it's clear you guys have such a great relationship. And it's it's good to hear that it not just comes from both sides, but that you guys both have so much admiration for one another. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm all about that girl power. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you did to prepare for the role of Michelle Obama? Um, and tell us your process of maybe like researching and learning her mannerisms. Yeah, I mean, I did look at some video of her when she's uh, giving the speeches at, uh, for graduations and things like that because she's real loose and, and, and just, you know, you can hear her. her she's a very specific dialect and, and the way she speaks. Um, so I wanted to make sure that we, you know, had a dialect coach, and I had that. So if you close your eyes, you can, you can hear the essence and you can hear, you can hear her. And then, you know, some of her hand gestures and, and 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 some of her looks, the way she looks at people, like, boy, if you don't sit down. You know, <laughs> like, there are just some things that. that are just very Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and then also I read her brother. I read a ton of stuff, but I really, her brother's book, uh, Game of Character, really helped me to dissect you know the family to 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 also see who she was at that during that time and her relationships to him, to him and to her father and to her mother and to going to school in Princeton and just that whole journey. Um, so and then I was able to create the create the Michelle that I accumulated the Michelle that that I that I you know from all the accounts of of, of that I read about personal accounts I was able to basically make the Michelle I, I thought was best. <laughs> For those who haven't seen the movie yet, it's just amazing. It's so stunning. Both Thank you and you. Parker Sawyer just blow me away with and, – and oh, Parker's awesome. Gosh. Parker's awesome. So good. Like, if we didn't find the right Barack, it could have been a disaster, mm. and it could have been just uh, – it just could have been bad, and I knew that was the most important piece, you know, because the whole relationship – the whole movie rides on this relationship. So I'm just grateful that we found Parker. I'm curious about this. The opening kind of shocked me a little bit, seeing the first lady. Not She's not the first lady yet in the movie, but she's walking around in her undergarments. We've got, um, you know, Barack is chain-smoking in his old chair. And I'm curious what the reactions have been like as you've screened this film. I think it humanizes them, and it makes them accessible. People love that they feel like, Oh yeah, I do that. I, I have a clothesline in my bathroom. You know what I mean? <laughs> I brush my teeth. I put lotion on the same way she puts lotion on. You know, I. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like seeing them as just 
normalized human beings, even, you know, they are normal, but they're not. They're, they're the president and the first lady, you know, and I think they've been the most accessible politicians ever. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, President Obama is the politician, but, like, I think they're so accessible and people love them. And I just feel like it even humanizes them even more. The fact that, I mean, there's a huge laughter when they see Brock smoke a cigarette. It's almost <laughs> like, oh, my God, you know, like, that's Brock. You know what I mean? It's, it's like a familiar, like, people are so familiar with him and her. So I feel like it just brings you into the 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 mix even more like you know this it's like your favorite blanket you know and I feel like you're just you just get more and more in step with them because the opening is so human you know it really is and it it transports you right to them and it kind of like since they're not yet the the people that we know them to be it's nice to see an imagined transition you know it's not really them but it's good to see like where people come from and that you know you can build to that level of success Exactly, exactly. It's wonderful. So I have just one last question for you. We have a lot of listeners who are creators, uh, actors, artists, dancers, teachers, etc. Uh, for those just getting started in their careers, particularly black women, do you have any advice? Yeah, I would say, I mean, there's so many avenues now. I mean, you guys are doing it. I mean, black girls, you know, I love you guys. I follow Aww. you guys. I think you guys are so empowering to women everywhere. Um I think, you know, you guys, I think what happens is follow your passion. You know, people say follow your bliss. I would say follow your passion. The passion is not sitting there for for no reason at all. It's sitting there because there's something going on that you should be doing with that. Mm. And find a way. I mean, nowadays there's so many things. You can shoot yourself. You can write for yourself. Like you can, people are doing it. And there's so many um, examples of companies coming in and being like, okay, we want to, we want to collaborate on this project with you, you know? So it's just like, I believe nowadays, I feel like, I just feel like it's such a woman empowerment moment, not mm. just a moment because the moment lo- loses ground after a while, but I think it's just women are feeling themselves and we know that we're smart. We know we can be anything. And I, I just, I hope people pick that up and, and just run with it because, you really can, and I'm, it's not just like smoke me saying, oh, you can be anything you want to be. I mean, <laughs> really, if you want to do a podcast, do a podcast, start. The, the, the thing is starting it and, and keep walking with it, you know, and then it will it'll all come together. Even if it doesn't look, you know, polished at first, just start, and then you'll get better and, at, at whatever it is and, and, and go for it. But somebody's going to so – you're – it's not in your heart for no reason. You know, I don't believe God puts things in people's hearts just, just because they're, you know, desires just to have them, you know? So, um, I would say just start and, and, and Google, we have Google now. (laughs) When I started, I had no Google. I had to go to a bookstore to figure out, okay, how do I become an actor? (laughs) You know? Absolutely. Headshot. Okay. Terrible headshot. <laughs> now, they, and now you have Google to just look for a good headshot person for good photographers before is flipping through well, books and searching all over are, town. Oh my gosh. And nowadays people are trading information on Instagram and there are great photographers out there who are, you know, considered amateur but are actually really good and not charging you an arm and a leg. And so, you know, you do what you can with what you have at the moment. So, and it'll just get better over time. That's such great advice. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I love you guys so much. So thank you for 
continuing your movement and, and being amazing and smart and everything that you are. Um, I really appreciate this talk. You're going to have us in tears over here. This is beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Judiana Makovsky is a three-time Academy Award nominee for her work on films such as Seabiscuit, Pleasantville, and Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, for which she was also nominated for a BAFTA Award. Makovsky has had a long and distinguished career lending her outstanding costume design to work over 30 films, which includes Captain America Winter Soldier, Captain America Civil War, Gloria, Practical Magic, and so much more. Take a listen to this segment hosted by Joy on a one-on-one where she talks about her work on these superhero films and what it's like to dress characters like Tony Stark and Steve Rogers. Welcome everyone to this new segment of Black Girl Nerds. Uh, I'm your host Joy and we have here someone who is a super special guest, three-time Academy Award nominee. Uh, wonderful costume designer, costume designer for some of our favorite shows and some of our favorite uh, films, and in particular, one that we've all loved and seen this summer, which was Captain America Civil War. We have Judiana Makovsky. Judiana, thank you so much for joining us. You are so welcome. All right, so let's kind of just get right into it. So, um, just a couple of questions for you. So, what is your thought process for designing someone supernatural or metahuman when they're on the job versus off. So you obviously have done films such as Harry Potter. You've obviously uh, started a foray into the comic book scene. Uh, Obviously, we have very (laughs) outrageous and uh, ostentatious, if you will, superhero costumes. But you also do some type of um, costume designing for when they're not on the job as being a superhero. So what's the process of finding that style for them when they're off the job versus them being on the job? no matter what the film is, whether it's a superhero film or, you know, a period film or a contemporary film, it's always about the story. What is correct for the story? Why would these people be wearing this? Where would they get it? You know, and, and, you know, everything has to make sense for the director's vision. So you always start that way. Um, Then you kind of move on into creating a palette for each character, so you're not sort of repeating, you know, looks on different characters, but you just find what works, you know, for that character and sort of stick to that look for each outfit, and you you tweak it like Captain America, he's always very, you know, all-American, iconic American clothes, the white t-shirt, the jeans, the jacket, it's always... You know, whatever jacket I make for him, whether it's an updated one or one that looks more old-fashioned, it still has that all-American feel. So, so I always keep in mind, story is everything. You have no movie if you don't have a good story. Right. So that's that's a very good point about having good story because... Um, this is, you've worked specifically on kind of the Cap trilogy in which you started in the second movie, not necessarily the first okay. one. So you started when we, Correct. when you, uh, joined on the Winter Soldier team and then you continued on with Captain yeah. America Civil War. So going along okay. the lines of a story, what's your process of keeping the look of the characters consistent across the films, but you're adding your own flair to it because obviously you have your own style, something that you've developed. Right. 
Well, each director has their own vision that, you know, which includes like, you know, what is the tone of the film? So the Captain America films have been a little more realistic, you know, a little more subtle in color than let's say the Avengers films. So we start with that. So like now taking Tony Stark and bringing him into the Captain America world, um, I had discussions with him and with the directors about sort of toning down his clothes. They're, you know, he's now becoming um, a little more introspective. He's not so flamboyant. So that should show in his clothes. So that's bringing him into our movie and taking him out of the Avengers. So with each character, I sort of have that process about what does it mean to this film, you know, as opposed to the other films, but still keeping the essence of who they are. Um, you know, Tony Stark still wears outrageous sort of designer-ass clothes. Right. You know, make a lot of that stuff for him. You know, he's the richest man in the world. He's not going to wear, you know, jeans from the Gap. Right. <laughs> so, you know, he's going to wear something else. So, you know, we, we stick to those rules, you know. But, again, we for this film, being so flamboyant didn't work with the story. So um, every character has, you know, we take that journey with them and, and really approach it that way. Why are they wearing these clothes? It's not about fashion. There's a reason they have these things on. Right. So when we're talking along the lines of telling the story and continuing the story, there's also situations where you're starting with someone whose story hasn't been reflected on film yet. So, for example, we have Black Panther, whose first time on the screen was uh, during Captain America Civil War. Um, we'll yeah. be having the his standalone film in 2018, but this is someone who's kind of brand new. It's a new character, mm-hmm. someone who's royalty, which is starkly different from, let's say, the standard character outside of Thor. But Thor is like an alien type of royalty, yeah. whereas mm-hmm. when you're yeah. dealing with T'Challa, he's a uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like when, when you're dealing when you're dealing with T'Challa, he's royalty, but he's still a, you know a, a earthly human being. So. How do you, in, in two, so it's a two-part question, how do you um, kind of show that air of royalty to him in his kind of day-off clothes, um, but also show right. kind of the air of the warrior with him in his costume, because he's a very physical type of fighter that's always yeah. been kind of child in the comics. Exactly. Well, we, we had a lot of conversations about, um, you know, T'Challa, we didn't want to establish Wakanda, because Wakanda is not in our film, really, except for one short scene at the end. And we knew there was a Black Panther film coming out, so we didn't want to dictate to them what Wakanda should look like. But also, if you look at royalty in African nations, most of them, the younger ones are educated in the West. They go to school in Switzerland. They have clothes made at Cavill Row. They are like any royalty. You know, they they have the best of the best. They don't necessarily, when you see them at the UN, they don't wear, like, ethnic clothing of their country. They usually just wear suits. So we decided he should be just the most elegantly dressed man on earth, as if he was tailored by his personal tailor. But it is very Western that he, you know, he's out in the world. And at that point, you know, he didn't necessarily agree with his father, until later, so he is a little more Western. Um, at the end, we decided to sort of move away from that, and I created a suit that has sort of 
ethnic embroidery on it, but it's still got a Western cut, per se. Um, so we get a little feeling that he's gone back to Africa, to his nation of Wakanda, but still keeping within the sensibility of civil war. And that way we're not, you know, when uh, a friend of mine, Ruth, uh, Ruth Carter, is designing um, Wakanda now, she's doing the Black Panther movie, I'm, I'm not dictating to her what she should do. You know, she doesn't have to follow that. And that was very. We we all decided we're not going to get into a combat. <laughs> right, and I think and I think that's that's great that because yeah. it can be tricky, especially with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You have so many different uh, directors that can come in and out, um, with the exception, obviously, the Russos, who's this is going to be their right. longest kind of. They'll be the the directors that have been there the longest, but you get different spins, and you, yeah, you have to do that continuation of the story. But every director has their own way of storytelling, so it, it can be tricky. The same thing to be said about costume designers, you guys tell your own story through the clothing that you design and choose and make. And so um, you don't want to step right. on other people's toes for them not to tell their story. So it makes sense. But it, it, it is very interesting on these films, the collaboration between, you know, all the films. You know, when you work on standalone films, you're not talking to other costume designers or people from other movies. On these, we do. You know, I talk to Alexander Byrne, Alexander Byrne you know, a lot she did the Avengers films and I'm using some of her characters and then she used some of my characters in the Avengers so you, you get to be this little family that collaborates in a, in a way that's different than other the way other movies are made and I, I actually like that I think it's kind of you know you learn a lot from other designers and they learn from you and you become this kind of little Marvel family it's great yeah, that's awesome. So you kind of being in the Marvel family, and this is not your first rodeo, obviously. Have you ever put thought into if you were a superhero, what your costume would look like? Oh, knowing me, it would probably be very simple and very black. <laughs> <laughs> and very simple and very comfortable. Learning what these costumes are, mine would be super comfortable. <laughs> Yeah, have you, I mean, have you, interacting with the, the, the cast and, you know, fitting their outfits, um, you want it to look as great as humanly possible, but obviously sometimes it might be uncomfortable. What would you say, out of all the costumes you've created for the Marvel Cin- Cinematic Universe, was probably the most uncomfortable uh, to even look at and wear? Well, you know, they're all kind of uncomfortable. I hate to say it. They're all heavy and they're hot. We are trying to make them a whole new way now, trying to make them lighter weight. Luckily, there's all new technology. I have genius craft people and artisans who work, you know, with me to create these costumes, the ones who actually make them. Um, but, you know, they're all just, there's nothing comfortable about these clothes. Yeah. <laughs> they, you and, know, and, we're used to walking around in jeans and t-shirts. I walk around in jeans and t-shirts. I don't like to get dressed up. So, you know, I don't like to wear high heels, especially as a superhero. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm you right know? with you. So I, I am fully aware that these clothes are uncomfortable and do everything in my power to try and make them the least uncomfortable. That's the best I can do. Yeah, no. One of the things that I personally appreciate being a woman, and, and you obviously being a, a, a designer who is a woman, is when you're talking about, let's say, Captain America: Civil War. You have Sharon Carter. You have uh, Wanda. You have 
you have Natasha. They are all dressed so they, they dress normal, like they dress very comfortable. Yeah. Uh, but it's still reasonably dressed. Like you'll see Natasha kind of in in like the leather jacket and the white shirt and the jeans, and then she'll have a boot, but it's a thick heel, something that's like reasonable. Even when you go down exactly. to their costumes, they're all comfortable. You know, you know if there's if there's a moment that they have to wear something and it's appropriate, I will put them in it. Like, you know, Natasha does wear the highest high heels I've ever seen when she's at the UN because it looks good with her lovely purple suit, you know. But if it's not appropriate for, you know, why would she be wearing that, you know? (laughs) You know, and, you know, we do have the shoes for the beauty shots. But then for the action, you know, I'm going to wear shoes that they can actually function. And I, I think it looks better on film. You believe it more if they're not running around and, you know things that just are inappropriate just for you kind of what's down the pipeline for um all of the designing that you're going to be doing like what's what's next for you um are you going to be continuing on with the marvel cinematic universe like what's down the pipeline for you um i am working on the next avengers films right now as we speak (laughs) yeah uh Films will be making Civil War look like a very tiny movie uh, <laughs> compared to what we're doing now. <laughs> uh, so yes, I am. I just finished Guardians of the Galaxy two, and now I'm doing the next Avengers. So I am continuing on in the Marvel Universe, surprising no one more than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Judiana, thank you so so much for for joining us. I know you have a really packed schedule, but thank you so much for taking the time yeah. out to speak to us. Oh, you are so welcome. Thank you for the very AMC's Preacher is a TV series developed by Evan Goldberg, Seth Rogen, and Sam Catlin for AMC. It stars Dominic Cooper, Ruth Nega, and many others as an adaptation of a comic book series created by Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon, published by DC Comics Vertigo Imprint. Take a listen to the press conference during San Diego Comic-Con featuring the cast of Preacher. Yeah, I think he's making the mistake. Well, in fact, our space clears it, clears it up quite well. He, say, he suggests that you can't force people into being something that they're not already, already or not what they want to be. They have to make the choice to change. So is Jesse a superhero? Well, I suppose in that he, yeah, he can make anyone do anything, but it's a flawed superhero because it doesn't actually work. And it's, um, it, it's going against what he actually wants to achieve, which is to improve a, uh, a place that he cares a lot about and has... Um, He's, 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 a, he's a man desperate to change himself, desperate to make himself a better person. He knows that he's flawed, he feels guilty about what he did to his father, and he thinks he's the chosen one. And he's coming round to that way of thinking very quickly. At first, he didn't want anything to do with it, and it seems like it's sort of absorbing into the very fabric of who he is, that he, he thinks he can, still, he can still do good with it. And the truth is, power on that scale is very dangerous, and the fact that he is not yet realising it, it's quite, it says a lot about him. And the fact that he is capable of um, having this entity inhabit him and, and remain there, the most people who, who it's happened to have exploded, but the fact that he can harness it means to me that he's half evil, half good. And there's a, there's a, there's a very bad side to him. 
um, and he's had a, he's had a tough life on the road and he's struggled. So, but he, but I like that you think that you say he's good because he is desperately trying to improve himself. Well, <clears throat> I think she's she's a joy to play, really, because I think that she's so contradictory, like we are as human beings, and I think that I don't really feel that we see enough portrayals of people like that, especially for women and women of colour. Um, um, I, I think that what attracts me to her is her... Oh, do I need that? Hello? Um, I suppose what attracts me to her is probably what repels most people, is her sort of unapologetic... Um, rather violent tendencies. But for me, they're not really sort of meant in any um, aggressive sort of way just for the sake of violence. I think that she feels that she's, um, it's an armor of sorts for her to protect herself. But also she um, has a really sort of, quite a pure sense of justice. Um, and I think that you can, it's, that's quite evident throughout the, series you know when when she says um, and it's when she says to the kids in the pilot she says he was a really bad man and it's not just to excuse her behavior I think she really believes that and also when she um, rehabilitates Cassidy you know that it's for her it's um, she can't bear the idea that there is so much injustice in society and I think that obviously stems from her childhood because we you know you've seen the flashbacks that, that is, um, there's a sort of personal quest there. Um, in terms of women of colour, I think that it's, it's a relief to play someone like her, but I also find when I'm watching it, it's a relief to see someone like her. So it's very important for me. And I think, you know, I'm glad there's a discussion now about visibility, because I think for so long, we've been so complacent about there not being enough people of colour or in fact the whole world reflected in our in our arts and culture and I think that that conversation needs to be to, to, to keep happening because um, I think there's so much more we can do. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's one of the most, that was one of the most challenging things of playing the character, but it was also kind of part of what I found very seductive of the role is the fact that because, you know, half of my face is, is kind of taken up by this pretty thick prosthetic, it really forces me to kind of rely on my eyes. And when it comes to subtext and, and telling kind of the sort of beneath the lines, a lot of times it's, you know, you have to communicate that with, with, with your eyes. Um, from a technical standpoint, it's, it can be quite difficult. It takes about two, two and a half hours to get it on every morning, and uh, you know I, I can't eat when I'm wearing. I'm literally drinking smoothies on screen and off screen all day. Um, but it's uh, man, yeah, it's been a it's it's been a joy to play the character. He's a very uh, very interesting human being. I think that was the biggest thing um, when I because I wasn't familiar with with the comics before. Uh, before I got to read the script and got to read for the character, when I saw there was a character named R-Space and got to read a little about him, uh, I mean, I was obviously immediately interested, but for me, the thing that I found most compelling in, 
the greatest, really greatest challenge of playing this character was being able to try and humanize him and, and make this kind of larger than life comic book character, this art space, into, into Eugene, the flawed and, and very, <coughs> very real and empathetic human being. Um, it, my hope was, uh, you know, as, as the series progressed, that, you know, in the pilot, we see him open the door, and it's kind of like a shock, especially for people that don't know the comics. It's, what, what the heck is this? But uh, <laughs> um, like as, as the series progresses, I very much hope that uh, you know people begin to kind of almost forget about the prosthetic and, and forget about uh, mm. kind of his, his deformity, and then just begin to see him as, as a human being mm. and a character that uh, often, I think, at times is surprisingly relatable. Dominic, can you uh, can you reflect a little on Jesse's journey in the first season and, and where he is leading into the last few episodes? Uh, where where's he got to? It's been quite. I've, I've been interested to have physically doing it myself and then actually watching it. It's quite different. I actually see it's it's different from how I imagined. He's much. I'm much less sympathetic towards him. And I wonder why these people stand by him. I mean, he's vile, what he ends up doing. I, didn't, I was quite unaware how vile he was, actually, by the end. But I think he sort of is in a place of reflection, and I think he has established that he, he's no good with this power, and he's not the one who should harness it and use it. And I think now he knows that the next part of the journey, together with these people that he's now met and that he loves, in search of answers, because actually... He's, demand, he, he's demanding them and, and thinks that uh, God owes them all answers and, and, and that's what he's in search for by the end. But it's been a quite a... You, he began as quite heavy, depressed, um, stuck in his past. But, and I think you start seeing him come out of the fog of that. Um, and once he's got... He has a purpose, uh, which he's probably never really had before, apart from violence and crime. Um, and he's with the best people, he's with the, the, the girl he loves, and he's met a new great friend, and they're going, and they're on the road. So, and I think that's, and I hope that, the, that you're left excited and compelled by what may happen once these three go in search of this thing that I won't say yet, because, is it clear what we do? Not yet. We'll ruin it. Yeah. Should we ruin it? Ruin it for everyone. Let's ruin it. Ready? We're going to ruin it. We're not going to ruin it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because if, I think that in running away from his past, you know, and trying to like find himself, I think he was actually running away from himself. Yeah. And I think that that's the kind of journey that he that he seems to have gone on is that he realizes that that maybe you can't outrun your true nature. Maybe that's that's the battle, you know. Um, I think I think, and I think that that that's how I see it sort of unfolding. Very nice looking. Hold on a second. Steady on. Steady on. Yeah, bye you guys. Oh, well, I mean, uh, 
Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of the books, you see. So I, I knew everything about the books before I started it. So uh, the idea of becoming this, as you say, this like, iconic character that I loved when I was reading them was, it was quite overwhelming at first. I was, felt a little bit of a, well, justifiably, a responsibility for playing the character. But, so I do know, yes, I know his ultimate journey, uh, which is a very, very interesting one. Which I look forward to playing out, but yeah, I have felt a little lonely and sad and isolated in my 19th century world <coughs> with my horse. And I didn't even manage to look out, the horse doesn't last. I mean, it's dead within like a few minutes. You know, I, I, you know they were going on, you know, can you ride? Yeah, yeah. Did I need to really ride? Because you kill my horse within five minutes. So anyway, it was, um, it was interesting. In fact, I've, I've only just got to know these people. Um, I've been awful. It's been, been terrible. I was in, I was in isolation. Yeah, like, like some kind of strange quarantine uh, up in the desert. Uh, I look yeah. forward to hopefully seeing a little bit more of that. Do you? Really, after today? Well, I have to say that, obviously. Sorry, but, uh, but, um, something that I'd seen in the script on TV that he wouldn't do, or that it's. That I can't believe he was capable of doing it. Yeah, so shocked. shocked by the by his um, by how calm he is after doing such a terrible thing, but I think it was instinct and that's the aggression that's the danger in him that's how violent and dangerous that's what's bubbling under the surface all the time with him that's what he's suppressing so suddenly when he sends him to hell that's why he's not controlling this power as well as he should be so his his instinct was just to shout i don't think he, he absolutely didn't mean to do it but he did it it was his pure violence and aggression that, that popped out which everyone's capable of every now and then but what the, it, it was the, his his um lack of remorse at the begin immediately afterwards, and I think the calm nature with which he he uh, dealt with the thoughts of what he had done in his head, and that they didn't they didn't seem to have much impact on him. Um, but no, he's capable of doing that and a lot more. And I think he'll get you know. There are, I think it should be he should be that dark. And that's what uh, that's why I, I was completely absorbed by him as a character and to play him. I think his journey is extraordinary, but he's a very very flawed person. I think it's an interesting theme actually in the whole. For, for many of the characters, this, this struggling to suppress their, well, possibly their true natures, or certainly a great deal of their true natures, as the, the show progresses, I can feel that with my character, and certainly as Ruth and Don were saying, it's very similar, and I, I think it's the same here as well, but there's that trying to keep the darkness, I suppose, that we all carry around with us, uh, and trying to keep that in check. I think it's very interesting that Garth has explored that so thoroughly in those books. So can each of you talk about um, what in your character really grabbed you that you're like, I can relate to this, this is, and what surprised you about your characters? Everything. <laughs> Everything. I'm a drug addict, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I'm just not involved, you know. <laughs> uh, Everything. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he's just, he's, he's very human and I think he's uh, trying to, to make right some things and, and 
tonight. I think at the end of the day, he's, you know, he's made mistakes, however ominous they are, and we're kind of learning more about that as the episode and seasons progress. But I think it's just at the end of the day, trying trying to be a good person, trying to do what's do, do what's right. I thought it was a very uh, admirable quality. I think it's interesting that a character named Arsface blew his face off of the shotgun is somehow the most moral character yeah, <laughs> in the show in a lot of ways. So I just thought that was very interesting. I I really love my guns, um, but I guess I was really surprised about how heavy they were. They're actually a lot heavier than you think when you have to hold them. So that was a shock. But um, I got over that and continued. So. It's giving him car tunnel. Um, yes. Terrible yeah. risks there. Yeah, very yeah, it's a lot of risks, a lot of risks. <laughs> so hard. It's really tough. These are the problems that you have to deal with. Um, yeah, no, he's a I love, I love the fact that he's trying to be a good family man. That's really what I love at the, the beginning, that story. Why he becomes who he becomes, that's what's really interesting about it. And, and surprising, I suppose. Uh, but then the level to which he goes to, you know, that's, there's some shocking things, I do shocking things. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting that Dominic talks about it as well. You always, I, it's very rare that you read something, and I have a huge, a very high tolerance for a lot of stuff, but you read something in a script and you're, you're shocked. You go, wow, I'm going to do that. And uh, you assume you do. So it's that, and that's what I find so interesting, that the fine edge that the show walks uh, and continues and, and hopefully will continue to walk. Each character seems to have a duality about them, and that seems to be why Jesse is so able to hold yep. the power. Yep. Exactly. Duality is exactly. Um, Cassidy, I'm, I'm sorry, Joseph. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. It happens a lot. Yeah. I feel like snatching it up like MJ. <laughs> I love the fact that you're uh, a character, a vampire that doesn't glitter or that doesn't, uh, you know, He's not sexy. Doesn't sparkle. Yeah. 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 So thank you for that. Uh, uh, but my question is, uh, why hard. do you think that loyalty, or you know, uh, why, do you, why do you have to be feel faithful to the stranger? Jesse, and what this, uh, this love triangle will get ugly eventually. Yeah, I think it, well, in the comic books, it does, doesn't it? It gets really ugly. I think we have a big real life. I remember. Oh, yeah, in real life. life. Yeah, it's lovely. In real life. Why do you think Cassidy is. Oh, so I think, yeah, it's interesting. Is that I think Cassidy is always going to be the Cassidy sort of sees this guy. I mean, he's an old man, Cass. He's old, how old is he? 119, I think he is. 119 yeah. years old. He's fucking sick of it. Well, he's still this kid, this young lad who's having a stab at making it right. And I think more than anything, he's just going to be interested to watch that unfold. He's got time, you know what I mean? He's, they're all going to fuck up and leave him. Everybody dies and leaves him in the end anyway. But it's for the first time, I guess, in a long while, this is his opportunity to um, settle and feel wanted and needed, you know. Um, everybody needs someone, don't they? You know. As well as the other part of the question, as the other bit, I'm shit, man. My head's like a sieve. I remember nothing. It's kind of a bit of a threat, yeah, it's through my brain. Thank you. Okay, Jesus, because I'll see all the fucking audience. You're just tired, because I'm just terrible. I'm being tired, for God's sake. Is that your real hair in the back there, Is that your natural hair? No, that fella there, what's that? 
<laughs> that is amazing hair. <laughs> of course it's, it is. It's what? Weird Al. It's not your hair. Oh. It's the long shorts. That's how you want your hair. <laughs> Joe's desperate for that hair. He, he's, he's had a perm. He had a perm last week. He's growing it out. I was just curious if making a show like this made you evolve or question your own views on faith or lack thereof. not made me question faith. I still think it's trouble. I'll be honest. Mm. I think, I think, yeah. what I love about our show is that I think that it, um, it, it, is it asks, it encourages you to think about the nature of, challenge the way you think of the nature of good and evil. And not just kind of in a supernatural way, but um, of these are kind of like I feel like for Tulip, it's like what's what's interesting to me about her is that sometimes the most interesting thing about human beings is that which you do not know, and how much of life we go through um, acquiring sort of armor and shield because and uh, because of our vulnerabilities. And how much of that we show to the world, and how much, and how brave that can actually be, and that there, you know, uh, it would just be lovely if we can encourage a world that allowed our vulnerabilities and flaws to be more accepted, rather than holding everybody up to these impossible sort of um, ideals and expectations, because that's a huge pressure to put on. People. I mean, especially like I don't know how I'd feel being a teenager right now at this time. You know, there's so much expected. Um, so I think you know, and I guess I think that you know these three like characters. I mean, in the entire cast really, but I think these this, this trinity of misfits. You, it's not that you forgive them their um, mistakes, but you sort of empathise with them and sympathise with them, and you do sort of they generate a sort of love. Rumble, rumble. No, it's very, it's very coherent. <laughs> yeah, I, th he's, he's, I think raising the question is, and, and, and it not having opinions on religion, I think that's what, and, and it's, it's been incredibly well received in that world. It hasn't yeah, had, has, yeah, no one's, no one's seems to have had trouble with it, and I think that's because, I think, <coughs> just raising the question and getting people talking anyway in this incredibly tough time that we're living through in the world, this chaos that we're living through, people are questioning their faith and their belief and, and what on earth's going on. And I think, you know, as well, it, I think it's an example about, it's not taking, um, the new generation, the new generation that have faith, it's not taken so damn serious. You know, something like Preacher isn't, it's not like we're having a fucking stab, like it's a show, you know, it's television. If you don't want to watch it, don't. You know what I mean? Don't watch that shit, watch something else. Um, but we, like, that, I, I think that's pretty interesting. That because I was kind of expecting a bit of trouble, mm. um, you know, maybe because there's always some asshole somewhere with a problem, you know. <laughs> you just can't get through the day without <clears throat> being offended somehow. Like you're affected, right? But it was a guy in the hotel who told me, "You went, stop swearing." I went, "Why is that?" He went, "It's making me anxious." I said, "You're fucked, dude. If anxious make you, if swearing makes you anxious, you're already fucked." Right? <laughs> <laughs> right, Lord God, man. Did that comfort him? No, it didn't. It was to say, I 
Thank you. Fuck yourself. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> but it was never. It's, it wasn't Gareth's intention, and I don't think it was, no. it was Seth and Evan's intention to sort of instruct people on how to think. Mm. Or you know, this show doesn't bludgeon everyone over the head with with ideas. I think it just. Like I said, it's, it's generating uh, conversations, discussions, thought processes. You know, it's made me think about faith, God, all these, you know, having private conversations with oneself about the world. Um, and it does so with the vital ingredient, um, humour, hmm. you know, and, yeah. and often, often it's good to have those kind of discussions with a bit of levity because it makes it more easier, appetising, I don't know, you know. It was the same when I read the books, I, uh, the same feeling that you were being surprised constantly, stimulated by what, what was happening. It was unpredictable, and I loved that about them, that you'd open, you'd turn to the next page, and I, I didn't see that coming, I didn't see that, I, where were the signals, but I, I, I find that uneasiness that it brings really, really stimulating. They feel they feel very yeah. they feel. I think you know the head. No, don't know. It's, it's definitely grittier and darker. And I think that uh, well, I think purely purely on a sort of basic level that we're not network. We can we can like take more risks. I don't know. You know, uh, I think there's kind of you know it's such a such a vast and varied genre. That, you know, you can have something that is poppy and sort of like. Shield, but then also have sort of this kind of, I don't know, sort of really sort of strange supernatural world that really doesn't follow any linear path and is bonkers, essentially. But you know, I think that it's not really about the sort of, I don't know, everything, every job is so, there's just a different approach. Yeah. I don't think it's just not, it's, no, it's. It just feels like another job. I mean, uh, yeah, it's 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 just was a completely different job, and we're doing completely different roles. They just feel like separate. I don't. I compare them, even though they were comic books. I don't compare them in any way. It just feels like I'm doing a totally different job altogether. It couldn't be more further removed for me, as for you, for the preacher compared to Howard Stark. I mean, they're, they're worlds apart. So, and both equally enjoy as enjoyable to play, but. Yeah, it's, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, it's funny because doing this, people expect, people <laughs> often expect that you've had the greatest fun, you know, when you're doing the big fighting sequences and the the, the energetic pieces. But actually, what's been wonderful about this is is the dialogue and being able to sit around. I love it when we're just having a chat. When, when you know, each and each one have a really interesting dialogue and a good conversation. But it's just a bit of calm and stillness, and you're just um, uh, talking with one another. And learning a lot about the, the characters, and I th that's what for me has been very enjoyable in a world which is often propelled by so many action sequences, um, which are also fun. But it's been wonderful in this to do that. Sorry, no, I just I think I, I do see similar issues between Raina and Tudor, very much so. They're both sort of broken people with um, child difficult childhoods who are who are see seeking something, searching something, 
for something. And um, like I said, they sort of build up this this sort of these calluses that hide some someone very sort of vulnerable. Um, I'm the angry asshole. <laughs> um, no. Um, no, I mean, you know what? I, I don't engage with it because I think it's, it, it does depress me and I don't think, like, I know that there's, I've been reading in, in, about this whole Leslie Jones thing where she's just got horrific abuse and I just, it makes me weep for humanity, to be honest, because we, we have to catch up with the time, like we can't, we can't stay sort of, I don't know, sort of small-minded and narrow and insular. We have to progress, um, and I just don't. I don't want those people to sort of attack my positivity. So I, I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. What's the other things I could be on? It just Snapchat. Gets by, man. I just think there's like it's in 2016. Like there's, there is this like percentage of people that just have to find something, have to find a problem with something. Well, yeah, they just get them through it. I think they always existed. But well, you they know, always existed, but now they have a voice. They're a platform. They yeah, yeah. They're, they're, allowed, they're allowed a pulpit to stand on, and, and we all have to listen. And there were, you know, in the days when you would just hang out in bars and there were no phones that you would communicate with each other on and all that malarkey, uh, that kind of an opinion would just be shouted down. And if somebody spoke to someone like that, mm. they'd either get punched or shut up, shut up, it's your round. Sure you get, yeah. get to the bar. And, uh, and now I think a lot of that conversation has ended. You know, you hear all this noise, but there's no, there's no conversation that's happening. It's just people shouting into the wind. People want to be heard, isn't it? Yeah. It's people who want to be heard. And they're isolated. Nothing to really talk about. They look for something fucking irritating. Like, there's tons of shit that irritates me. I want to go and jump on social oh. media and talk about it. Oh, no, one's, absolutely, no one's oh, angry at night about that so much. Like, yeah. It gives a fuck what you think. <laughs> like, honestly, like, no, I bet your family are sick of you. You know what I mean? That's why you're on the fucking internet. That's why you're doing it. Moron. First of all, Jack Earl Haley played a badass for 40 years. Uh, that's just a statement, that's not a question. Statement. <laughs> <laughs> is this any of your first trip to Comic-Con? Have you been down on the convention floor? How's your, how's your visit been? Or are you right? just anxious to get out of here? No, 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 no. It's, 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 it's me and Ian's first one. Yeah. It's just like, you, you, won't believe, you can't believe how lucky you feel like, as an actor. Like doing all this and speaking to you people, and it's a big deal, man. It's like, and you do sometimes, it gets, it's, I mean, my hands have been, like, we've all had clammy hands all day, man. I'm just terrified of, you know, just wanting to be liked, for God's sake, you know what I mean? That's all. I mean. But it's, it has just been the biggest adventure. I don't know, I've only been here four fucking days. I've been in the sea for the first time. The first time I went in the sea, and you could stay in it. There weren't turds in there or anything. And that was where, I, where we go in the sea, you can come out with feline heads. Me and Dominic, dude, me and Dominic got told off by a lifeguard. We were only there for five minutes. Got told off by a lifeguard four fucking times, coming in on quads and that. Put the cones down. Me 
not swimming in stingrays. That were a little long. Kicking sand in children's faces. <laughs> yeah. no, it's an amazing event, this sort of thing, because I think it's just such a, from the fan point of view and from the actor's point of view, everyone's just very happy. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah. joy that bubbles around yeah. this, this convention centre beyond. You know, people aren't walking around with that sort of burden of cynicism that you find in day-to-day -day life. Mm. It's, it's quite a relief. Mm. Yeah. So true. And it's, that's, it's not like a theater where you kind of have this immediate reaction. A lot of times we're kind of in this bubble where we're shooting in Albuquerque, Santa Fe, in the desert, in the middle of nowhere kind of, and, and you just do this work, and then you go back home, I live in New Jersey, and, and you watch the show, and, and you kind of see some stuff on Twitter, and, and that's it, but then coming here, it's like, it, it's where you really get to see the fans kind of reacting, and it's a very delayed re reaction, because it's television, but it's, uh, it makes the hard work that you do uh, kind of on the down low when you're, when you're filming it, it makes it very worth it, it's, it's very rewarding. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Also, you said it. I really appreciate it. Don't let it be ringing. That was right on. Don't slide. Sure. Yes. It's a big deal. No, it's huge. I'm so glad you're not trying to work on it. I'm so excited for it. I cried the whole time. Mr. Gilligan. <laughs> Thanks, man. Again. Thank you. Yes, yes, of course. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. Various segments on all podcast episodes are edited by Mr. Daniel and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our podcast is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals used throughout podcast episodes are created by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find our shows on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, and Stitcher.